Hold those up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high five, fist pound your neighbor, hug them, tell them you love them. Let's do that. Tell them you love them. Would you reach over there and tell them you love them? Even, even, if, you don't, even if you don't love them, fake it, okay? <laughs> Again, I want to challenge you to be an Ephesians 4 church. Let no unwholesome words come out of our mouths, but for those that are big, building up of the faith, edifying the body, let those words be gracious, full of mercy and comfort. May we encourage each other. Amen. We need encouragement today. We live in a world that's not so uh, encouraging. Uh, be grateful you're not in Egypt today. Uh, one, one prayer request I forgot to mention this morning. Uh, Cindy uh, has a co-worker who... Uh, whose uh, son, is it son-in-law, honey, is that brother-in-law and his wife, who is 35 weeks pregnant, uh, are trying, they're Christian missionaries in, e in Cairo, Egypt, and they're trying to get home. They've been told by the mission team, uh, organization, to get out, and so they're trying. We don't know if they've made it, uh, but they're trying. But Okay, amen. There's an answer to prayer. So, be praying for them. Now, what does all this mean? Unrest in the Middle East. Just read the, read the word. <laughs> I'll be smiling. Because he's going to come back. You might be alive when he comes back. Now what you going to do? Yeah. You better be ready. Get your wings. I'm a big old boy, but I believe he's got wings that can cover me <laughs> and take care of me. Amen. I want to thank all the men that came yesterday to help with the baptistry. We've got our new baptistry setting in its spot up there. Isn't that not awesome? And uh, we've got a little bit more to do, or we'll just throw water in it and go from there. You know. So, But uh, I'm very excited about that, and you will be too. It's going to be a, a wonderful blessing to have that, uh, to be able to use it uh, here just very, very soon. Uh, we... We're going to be in need of a plumber, and uh, a gentleman came yesterday uh, as a guest of one of our uh, members, and they're a plumber. <laughs> so I said, boy, I could use your help. He goes, no problem. He jumps right in and gets it all. It's awesome. So I don't know if he'll charge us or not. Don't really care. Just praise God that he's here and willing to do the work, and uh, we're going to get it done. And God's going to do great things, and he's continuing to do great things in and through this church, and he will continue to do it. We're seeing healings. We're seeing jobs answered. We're seeing all kinds of wonderful things right here at our church. Let's just keep loving people. Amen? Amen. Let's keep encouraging people. That's the key. We've got to love and encourage, and uh, God has something great, great, even more in store for us. I want to finish our series, Wrestling with Life, with the title message, Unfinished Business. The Europeans have a saying they use to compare themselves to Americans, and it's this. We work to live, but Americans live to work. Well, there's some truth there, isn't there? There are some people within our culture who, would con who you would consider workaholics. 
Can't work enough. Got to work all the time. And varying reasons cause them to do that. Some are just addicted to materialism and they just got to work, 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 work to get more, 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 more because you got to have a habit, have a habit, have it. Amen? Then there are those that uh, believe that work is there so they can climb that ladder and uh, get, get more because they can get up there higher more. Uh, like Helen this week, when she found out she could make this much money, she's wondering about for the last 40 years, hey, where have you been? <laughs> but I told her now they're paying her for her knowledge, amen? <coughs> but how, how wonderful is God to not only provide the job, help provide the job, but then also to go and beyond. We've all seen that happen, haven't we? I remember when Corey was uh, in between jobs and he found a job on Craigslist of all places. Isn't that great? Found a job there, went and applied and... That winning smile and those blue eyes got him the job just like that. Probably helped having his mother behind him with a gun. I don't know, but you know. But nevertheless, again, again, a blessing upon blessing. And how many of you, uh, Mila, this, this past year had a real struggle in the fall with her boss, and all of a sudden come around to the new year, and he starts to ease up and change his, his tune a little bit. Hallelujah. Those are all blessings from God, amen? They are. But sometimes we work just because we think we've got to work, and Others love to be at the office and work a lot because their home life isn't so hot. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of people that have learned to be balancing uh, things in their work, and so they've got a pretty good balance. But it's just crazy how we do. We just think we can't get enough, we can't do enough. And I want to invite you this morning to go with me to an obscure passage at the latter part of verse 4 of the book of Colossians. We read it earlier, and it's, it's a real interesting verse. Verse 17, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you fulfill it. That you fulfill it. Take heed to that verse. And when he's talking to Archippus, he's talking to him about this very uh, concept. And today I want you to pick up four things from that verse that will help us. Not only is he talking about him in the ministry that he's been assigned, but to us as well because we're all assigned to ministry. In Christ. It doesn't matter how we make our living. Because how we make your living is your ministry. You have an opportunity. Now, you don't need to sit there and preach every day. Uh, but you can. You can preach the loudest sermon in the world. And if you have to, you can use some words. <laughs> but you can preach. You can preach. So he's reminding us. And speaking about fulfilling our ministry, and he first of all starts out to give us the obligation to minister. He says in that verse, take heed. Take heed. It's a Greek word that means to see, to be aware of, look toward, be perceptive of. And when the Old Testament was translated from the Hebrew into the Greek, this word was used to convey the meaning of turning and facing something. It means be intent upon something. How many of you ladies would like your husbands to be intent when you talk to them? Now see your hands. Men have a tendency to not be intent about listening to their wives. Can I see a hand there from... There, there you go. Because most of the time, men, we don't think they're telling us anything of great value. Can I see those hands again? Whoa! Boy, I didn't really mean for you to raise it <laughs> Those of you that did, well, I'll do your funeral for nothing. That's not a problem. And let me know what hospital room, and I'll be glad to come pray with you. But, you know, they have been 
great value. Women have great value and wives especially have great value for us. And it would behoove us to listen. Now can I see those hands? Because some of you are back out of the doghouse. We need to listen. And oftentimes, ladies, you just don't, you don't want us to solve it. You just want us to hear it. Can I see the ladies' hands? You just want us to hear it, right? Oh, I even got an amen dude out of there. Okay. That's not bad. I don't know where that's in the scripture, but I'll take it. Amen, dude. But intentional, God wants us to be in our work, in every facet of our life. To be intentional about the ministry, to look after it, he's speaking in this passage. But I think this word has a a richer context, a richer meaning. It's a word that carries that understanding of having insight into spiritual things as well. The people you work with, you're going to notice the struggles in their life. You're going to notice the things that you can help them with spiritually because that's where the real issue is. You can never find the healing you need in any way without the spiritual dimension. You just can't. And you won't appreciate it, especially if you don't have that spiritual dimension. So you've got to connect to that. You've got to let that happen to you. Uh, it's, it, it's that spiritual realm that we're striving for and to be intent and look for. It's this word in Colossians 4.17 is the same word used in Hebrews 11.1 1, when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what Paul is saying to Archippus is to be intentional about seeing what God is doing and where God is leading in reference to the ministry that God has called him to. And in contemporary language, he would say it this way, Archippus, pay attention, be sensitive to see what God's doing and wants to do in the ministry that he's given you. Get with it and see to it that you finish your God-appointed task. And you might say, preacher, I'm not a I'm not a pastor. I'm not in the church leadership role. Oh, that's going to make you more effective. Because once people find out you're a pastor, the whole conversation changes. It does. I have people who, uh, who use cuss words in front of me, and they'll apologize to me for their words. Why me? I'm just a man. Oh, but you're a reverend. Oh, no, no, no. He's up there. I came off the stage down here so I could be with you. Well, plus I don't want to fall off of there again like I did some years ago. So some of you might remember that fun time. And the next Sunday as my children brought the air mattresses for me to fall on. I'm still not sure who put them up to that, but it doesn't really matter. Yes, they do. Archippus, he's only mentioned twice in the New Testament here. And then also in Philemon 1-2, where Paul calls him a fellow soldier. So we know that if, if he wasn't a pastor, at least he was a dedicated layman in the church. And he wanted him to serve Jesus Christ with all of his heart and to be intentional and to be focused and to get about the business of getting that message done. And while he's speaking directly here to Archippus, he's also deflecting that message to you and me. And we need to make application of that. The word translated ministry in this verse can also be translated service to which we get our English word deacon from. And we know that deacon means servant. And if you don't, you do now. It means servant. And it specifically 
spoke to household servants. And, and what this specific ministry is that Archippus was to do, we're not told. But we do know this. He was entrusted with something of ministry-related uh, responsibility. And Paul says, do it. Get busy and, and focus on it and stay with it. At the heart of the gospel is a call to every disciple to ministry, to service to God. Let's take a look at some passages. Exodus twenty three twenty five says, But you shall serve the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Hebrews, 11, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And we find spiritual gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, and they're always given with specific purposes of using them in service or ministry. All gifts from God should be used to minister to others. Amen? It's not about you and the gift. It's about what that gift can do for others and bring them closer to God. That's our goal. Ephesians 4 tells us that Pastors and teachers, are their job is to equip or prepare the saints. That's the believers for the work of ministry. The way God intended the church to operate is that every member do his or her part, exercising his or her gift within that body and under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit and under the leadership of the pastors and the elders and the bodies. It'll function in harmony. That's why God created dads and moms. It's to help the kid grow right. And if you're a single parent, God bless you for the work you do because you have to play both roles and it's not fun. Bill Gothard, and you can have all kinds of thoughts about Bill Gothard, but the concept of mom, dad, and child is really good. How he teaches that. He says the child is like a diamond in the rough. The dad's the hammer and the mom's the chisel. Well, if you just chisel that kid, you're going to chop them up, right? And if you just hammer that kid, trying to get him to straighten up, you'll crush him. But if you strategically place the chisel and the hammer together and you chip away those rough edges, that old kiddo can turn out okay. That's really the role of the mom and dad, isn't it? Those kids are on loan from God to you. If you screw them up, it's not God's fault. Don't blame the world around you. Now, when they get to a certain age, though, they don't listen to you anymore, do they, mom and dad? Ah, good luck. I like Mark Twain's philosophy when they get to that point. Put them in a barrel, seal it, feed them through the knot hole. And when they turn 16, plug the knot hole. Oh, come on. <laughs> hey, Mark Twain said it. I didn't say it. I'd... So it's imperative. It's in, it, Paul's trying to encourage Archippus, and he's also trying to encourage us. It mattered not whether Archippus was a deacon or a pastor or a layperson. The responsibility to God to fulfill his ministry was the same. And it's the same for us today. God has something for you to do. Do it. In our video study we're doing on Sunday morning your Sunday school with Max Licato, Live Outlive Your Life is the title of the, of the video series. And it's awesome. But the first week he encouraged us. He said, you need to understand that you're the only you that God's going to be able to use to get done what He needs done through you. Now stop and think about that a minute. 
I can't do your part. You can't do my part. But we can do each other's parts. And it becomes a great body and a great victory and a great win. Amen. And that's what we need to be about the business of doing. But somewhere along the line, we've got this idea that the ministry is reserved to those in hierarchy of holiness. <laughs> the hierarchy of holiness. When people want to, they say, they say, how do I address you? I said, well, my name's Harold. <laughs> they say, oh, no, no, no. Do we call you reverend? And I said, no, I'm not really very reverent. I said, I belch and do other things that I should probably do. What's, what do we call you? Preacher? I said, that's getting closer. I said, if you've got to have a name in front of it. But just call us who we are. But there was a time that this hierarchy of holiness was in, in place, and it, and it really started in the Roman Catholic Church. Constantine really got it going. He needed to win a victory. And he went and asked for prayer. And he said, if, if I win this victory, everyone in this kingdom will become Christian. Well, he won the victory. And guess what? Everybody became a Christian. Everybody. From the smallest to the largest to the wealthiest to the poorest, everybody became a Christian. Even if you didn't want to because the King Constantine said, you're going to be. One of my favorite stories is he took his army and he said, you're all going to be baptized because the church said so. And they went, okay. So he got them in lockstep. They marched down to, to a pond that was deep enough. And they marched lockstep through the pond and came out the other side. <laughs> but they were going to be baptized. Because Constantine said so. There was no personal decision on their side, was it? They were forced and coerced. So, so consequently, there was abuse. <coughs> I mean, within the Roman Catholic Church, you've got the Pope, you've got the Cardinals, you've got the Bishops, you've got the Priests, and you've got the Nuns. And somewhere down the line are these lowly pew people. But you know what? I think we Christians have kind of done the same thing. I mean, if you're a missionary, you're way up on the line. Come down there, you know, by seminary presidents. Come down the line a little bit, evangelists, TV evangelists. Well, they ought to be way down there. But anyway, but you know. And then you get pastors in the church, and then you get maybe music ministers, and then youth ministers, bless their heart, they're way down here. If you're a children's minister, well, you know, you haven't even made the list yet. You see what I'm saying? But we do that. And then we eventually get down to the people in the pew and, and somehow you're supposed to be a part of the ministry. When the real essence of it is the ministry can't happen without you. It can't happen without you. I take you back to Ephesians 4. My role should be to equip you for the working of ministry. I need to equip you to be a better minister. I need to equip you to share Christ with people. I need to equip you how to study the Bible. Bible Basics, our class that we're doing on Tuesday nights, it'll lay the foundation for you. I'm going to teach you how to do that. So, so start coming. It's going to be great. And if you're, if you're new at it, or maybe you've been at it a while and just kind of need a pick-me-up, that's going to be a great class to come to. Because if nothing else, we'll just have a great time. <laughs> we'll just have a great time. Anytime you get Christians together, it's a good time. But each of us have an obligation to do ministry, to be servants to the Lord. And the ordination of ministry, he, he, he uses this phrase, which you have received from the Lord. You see, we're ordained to do ministry because God gave us that right. God gave us that ministry. And we need to be about that business. And you might say, preacher, I don't know what mine is. Well, let's keep looking. <laughs> so now let's talk about it. I bet we can find some place where you can serve 
and feel God using you in a great way. Look, look what else he says to Archippus. He says, take heed of the ministry which you receive from the Lord. And that word receive means to take alongside. It refers to something you received from another person. He's saying, Archippus, this ministry you've taken alongside of you on your earthly journey, this ministry you have received has not been given to you by the will of man, but you have received it from the Lord. Receive it. And He's preparing you especially to accomplish it. There's a couple of practical words that I want you to see here. Since that ministry is from God, then you'll never, be, you'll never bring that ministry to fruition as long as you're doing it under your own power. God's ready to empower you. But He can't empower you if you won't let Him empower you. He still lets you be a person of choice. Amen? How do I know that? Because we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over, don't we? Even though we know we're not supposed to, we still do it anyway. I don't want to do it, but I do do it. The thing I find myself not doing is what I am doing. What I don't want to do is what I find myself doing. In Romans 7, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man. <laughs> but if you get ego-driven ego or self-centered, that ministry won't happen. Living his life through you will never be self-centered. If it's not of God, it's selfish. And we need to make sure that we're doing the things in the right, proper perspective. Secondly, once you understand that service is not selfishness, then you need to come to see that God has preordained this ministry for you in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you were born, before you were born again, before you joined the church to use your particular and specific gift mix and personality to accomplish things, God didn't put you here by accident. God wants you here to serve Him in a far greater way. You have to discover the gift and exercise the gift. Amen? And the faster you do that, the more fulfillment you will receive. And you will feel and know that God is leading you. Third, you've got to come to realize that this ministry is not something that you can do on your own strength. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God has promised uh, that if we will surrender ourselves to him and his spirit, that he will accomplish that ministry through us. So it's something that God has preordained in us, something he will accomplish through us. So why are there so many people who never do anything but warm a pew? Warm a seat. Brings me to my next observation, and that's the obstacles of ministry. And there are several. In fact, I'm going to give you seven. First one is slothfulness. The temptation is to do nothing. It's an interesting word. Uh, translated fulfill in the text. It can literally be translated continually fulfill. So in other words, don't just do it sometimes. Be constant, be faithful, be consistent to continually fulfill it. Admonishing the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3.11, Paul says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. <laughs> Whew, I could spend the next uh, couple of days on that verse. Because we are so prone to want to know what everybody else is doing. 
And I think deep down at the basest root of all of that inquiry is that we want to make sure somebody else's life is a whole lot worse off than mine. If they're involved in certain types of sin, then that makes me look a little bit better. That's why people don't come to church is because preachers <laughs> sin. Well, those of you who have been around me long enough, you know that's the case. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And I have only one hope, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And now that I've received it, I'm, in the pro I'm a work in progress. <laughs> We're a group of imperfect people working to get our way through. And I love it because God didn't finish with us yet. God didn't finish with me yet. And I hope he's not finished with you yet. But we, not, we don't need to sit around with idle hands. What, what do the moms tell us? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's true. If you're sitting around nothing to do, you're going to get in trouble. What do kids do from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till 6 when mom and dad finally come home from work? They get in a lot of trouble. In fact, at the age of 12 in the state of Oklahoma, you're not considered uh, a child care age anymore. So from 12 to 16 for four years, you can't drive. So you get home off the bus, and what do you do? You get in trouble. You go to this knothead's house and that knothead's house and that knothead's house. And you find stuff at this knothead's house, and you stay over there a lot longer than you stay at that knothead's house. Especially if that knothead's house doesn't have mom and dad home because they're working like your mom and dad, then you're going to stay over that knothead's house because it's a better place to be because you can get in more trouble. Am I getting home yet? I raised three of those. I know how it works. Glad I'm on the back side of it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> One of those three was real creative. Real creative. I'll not mention any names. Proverbs 18.9 says this. He who also is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. People that broke into our house were drug abusers. And they, in the hotel room that we went to identify stuff, it wasn't just our stuff, it was seven or eight of the family stuff just piled up in there. Because they couldn't steal enough. Not only do they steal your stuff, then they steal your spare car keys and come back two days later, steal your car. So if you got spare car keys hanging out by the back door, hide them! Because <laughs> if they break in, they're going to take those too. And then they'll come back and get them. They'll come back and get your car. It's exciting, isn't it? Just thought I'd lighten your load today, letting you know that. Second one is selfishness. Your plans are different from God's plans. All of us are familiar with that story of Jonah and the whale. <laughs> God had a plan to get the message to Nineveh. Wanted Jonah to go take it. Jonah says, nope, not me. I'm not doing it. Gets on a boat, takes off. God causes a storm to rise up. He tells the guys on the boat, I'm the, guy, I'm the cause of the storm. They throw him overboard and he's ready to die, right? The big fish swell, swallows him up. Takes him three days, uh, he's three days in the belly of that fish. Takes him up on the end of a shore and spits him out, seaweed and all. And believe me, when he come out of the bellies uh, of that fish, he was ready to preach. Amen. <laughs> Jonah's a lot like us, isn't he? When your plan supersedes God's plan, there's nothing connected to that but self selfishness. Many Christians never realize their ministry because they're too busy pursuing their own agenda, their own pursuits, their own plans, instead of God's will for their life. Another obstacle is our spouses. Now, this will be tricky territory, so stay with me. 
When your spouse won't accept God's will for your life, they become an obstacle. I've known many people who were never able to accomplish their ministry, their service to God, because they married someone who would not accept God's will for their lives. The most difficult about a wife marrying a preacher is that it looks really good on the surface until they actually get into it. And it's not so much fun. Because their life is in a fishbowl. They have, to, they have to hear stuff about their own children. You know, I've, I've contended a long time that preacher's kids are bad kids. I got you. I hear it all the time. But you know what the problem is? They're influenced by the elders' kids around them. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> I'm telling you 100% it's true. I think some of you believe me. read a story about a young man attending seminary, working on his master's degree, and Fine young man, eager and willing to serve the Lord. He had a sweet spirit. And in the final days of his uh, master's work, he disappeared from class. And so people began to inquire. And they found out that his wife, who had been working alongside him in a local church, had run off with another man in the church. And that ruined this young preacher's ability to lead a church. The reality is, if you marry someone who can't accept God's will for your life, you will either have to live with the reality that your decision has cost you the opportunity to fulfill your ministry, or you're going to have to pray to change the heart of your wife or your husband. Because, you see, God will call women to do things that men may not be ready to do either. Another obstacle is success. The rich young ruler understood that. He had a desire to do something for God, but he longed to be used by God and and to be right with God. But in the end, his earthly riches were more valuable to him than doing what Jesus asked him to do. And many Christians today have traded temporal for the eternal. They lost sight of the eternal life that is to come and instead focused on building an empire for themselves here on earth. And I'll trust you when you go to the cemetery in the back of the hearse, there will not be a U-Haul attached to it. The world defines success in terms of finances. God defines success in terms of faithfulness. The question is, in the end, whose opinion have you lived for? Who are you trying to please? The next obstacle is satisfaction. A mediocre Christian. Is never what Jesus intended for His disciples. His standards were high. His call was costly. His demands upon the disciple were given in terms of taking up one's cross and following Jesus to Calvary. And yet we become comfortable at ease in Zion, complacent and willing to allow someone else to do the work, or even willing that the work should not get done. There will always be a need. I want to encourage you to consider Sunday school class. Come one hour, give an extra hour of your, of your Sunday to come. 9.30. It doesn't start till 9.30. You can literally sleep in. Most of you are up by 5, 4.30, whatever, to get to where you've got to go. And you don't, you're not late. You're not late because you push that time clock. And if you're late, you're in trouble. I got you. Sometimes I think we should put a time clock at the back of the church. Check on when you come in. But let me encourage you to consider our Bible school hour. We've got some great lessons going on. We've got some great stuff going on. And you're, and you're missing it. Come be a part of it. We've got stuff for kids. Don't think we don't. We've got stuff for kids. You come on. 
We'll get more for kids if that's what we got to do. But whatever it is, you, you come and, and be a part of it. Most Christians can't even find within their schedules to attend church once a week. It's, it's kind of interesting. I know, like just this morning, in our Sunday school class, uh, or our whole Sunday school hour, I would say had probably 10 people. There are 68 of you here in this hour. So 58 of you came just within an hour's time. Isn't that awesome? I just think that's awesome. Well, maybe next Sunday, 58 of you will come for that 930 hour. Henry Blackaby says this, moderate success in ministry is a spiritual hazard. And it is. Don't get mediocre. Don't sit back and get complacent. Dig deeper. Go deeper and want to go. The next obstacle is scholarship. Poor doctrinal understanding of ministry. Some people have been led to believe that ministry is only for the professionals and they should never attempt it. There was a farmer. Hot summer. Sweating like a hog. I can say that in the South. You understand what I mean. If I said it in Chicago, they'll go, say what? Well, they wouldn't say, say what? They'd say it some, some funny way. But he's out, in the, he's out in the middle of this field, and he's plowing, he's working, he's oh, dirty, tired. And he stops, and he takes a break, and he looks up, and these clouds form into the letter G-P-C. Whew! He knew it was a sign from God. Dropped everything, went to the house, told his wife, said, we're selling the farm, we're going to Bible college, I'm going to seminary, I'm going to be a preacher. And the wife looked at him and thought, you're absolutely nuts. You've got a heat stroke going on. But no, he was serious. She said, well, don't sell the farm, but okay, we'll, we'll stop and let you go do this. So they went. He struggled. Oh, my goodness, he struggled. He couldn't get the lessons. He couldn't understand how to speak to people. He couldn't do any of that stuff. That's just not what his gift set was. So he was meeting with the dean of students one day, and they said, we, said, we see you're struggling with your grades and with all aspects of seminary. He said, uh, what caused you to come here? He said, and told a story about his being in the field and he's preaching or, or, or working and he saw these uh, uh, three letters, GPC, and he, he just knew it meant to go preach Christ. And the dean said, there's the problem. It's an interpretation. And God was trying to tell you, go plow corn. <laughs> but sometimes we want to fit it into our agenda, don't we? We want to fit it in our way. But the scripture is clear in passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, that each of us are given spiritual gifts and those gifts are to be used for service. The next obstacle is sin. It's that trap that disqualifies us to minister. Many people have never fulfilled their ministry because they've crossed that line. They've walked into sin and they've been disqualified. They've disqualified themselves from the type of service that God could really use them in. David in his sin with Bathsheba, David was the intended king to build the temple, but because of the sin with Bathsheba, he didn't get to do it. His son built the temple. His son got the glory. His son got the accolades. I would remind you that one of the saddest realities in all of eternity is to know that you have been created for a specific purpose, but because of your actions, you have disqualified yourself from ever accomplishing it. The greatest personal defeat suffered by any human being is being defined by the difference between what he has become and what he could have been. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it 
into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Brings me to my final observation. That's the, the object of our ministry. Jesus said in Mark 13, 34, It's like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house, putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded to the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he suddenly come and find you asleep. The object of our ministry is to hear our Lord Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many. Enter in the joy of the Lord. That's what we want to hear. But what might we hear? What might we hear if we don't get busy and do what He's called us to do? You know two people who don't go to church anywhere. You know one person who doesn't know the Lord is not saved. We need to be about the business of getting them Introduced to Christ. Amen. Because unrest is going to continue. Wars, rumors of wars, all of that's going to continue. Unless and until we bring that last one home. And Second Peter. Uh, oh, I forgot the verse now. Terrible. <laughs> At 3 9. Second Peter 3 9. He talks about how Jesus, how God is patient and he's waiting. So that you and I can have one more shot at getting that word out to that one person so they might come. Because on judgment day, if they're left out, they're left out because you didn't take the time to tell them. See, that might be your ministry. It may not be mine, but it might be yours. But we might be ours together. I don't know. But you've got to be involved in it. You have to be involved in it. Preacher, I don't know what to say to them. Great. Call me. I'll tell you over the phone what to say. You can say it and say, just a minute, and I'll tell you more. And you can tell them more. And I'll tell them more. And you tell them more. But I want to help you accomplish your ministry. Because whatever God has called you to do, He needs you to do it. And you're the only you that can make it happen. It's not how we start that matters, but it is how we finish. Amen? What God has instructed us to do, be intentional and attentive to ministry. Why? Because you received it from the Lord, not from man. How are we to do it? With faithfulness. God wants you to be faithful even when you don't feel like it, even when others don't notice it. Be faithful. Where are we to fulfill our ministry? Where you are. How do you know God's will for your life? What are you doing? Do it for the Lord. God wants you to bloom where you're planted. When should we start? Now. Who's, who's God talking to? Us. You and me. Pray with me, would you? God, I want to ask you this, this morning to move into the lives of your people. I, I, I want to ask you to touch them in a very real and personal way. I want you to, Father, help us understand that we've all been called and given a task to do. And we must be about that business of doing that task. Nobody else is assigned to do it but us. So God, I'm asking this morning earnestly pleading with you this morning that there's somebody here in this church that's become so complacent that they they don't really care if they're doing anything they just they just come every Sunday and they'll just sit and boy you can tell they're faithful because they come every Sunday but is there any fruit being born in their life is there any changes being demonstrated in their life 
Paul, you talked to Timothy and you, you told him that his growth would be evident to all if he's really growing. So God, maybe there's people in this room that realize that they haven't been doing much growing. And could they double down? Could they, could they Father, dig in their heels and say, today's the day, Lord, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a difference. I've been wanting to make that phone call to that one person and I've just been putting it off. Today's my day. I'm going to make that call. There's that letter I've been wanting to write and, and, and that, that word of encouragement I've been wanting to give. And God, today I'm going to give that, that word of encouragement. Today's my day. God, could it be a parent that needs to put their arm around their child and say, you know, I just think you're the greatest kid in the world. And I just love you so much. I, I love you more than you could ever hope to, hope to know. Father, could we... Could we make contact with that person that maybe we've offended over the years and we've just hoped that things would work out because neither one of us are talking anymore? Would we take the courage to try to open that dialogue again and try to heal those wounds? God, I don't know what it is. I don't know what ministry you've called us to do, but I know that there is one or two or three or more. But God, I know one thing. That if we'll surrender... If we'll let you be all in all, filled with you from head to toe, then we can't hold back. So God, I'm praying for a, a breakthrough today. I'm praying for a release today in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.